Yeah, this all, yeah, uh, kickboxing, uh, evangelical uh, support. Atticus Shrug, the podcast on Southern culture and politics and politics this week. And with me, as always, are Chad Watson. Howdy, y'all. David Dykes. Hello. And a special guest this week uh, from The New Yorker, Charles Bethay. Hello. And I'm Wes Cheek, uh, broadcasting here from the basement of Tulane, where there's a bunch of free pizza stacked outside my office, and I don't know whose it is, so I'm very tempted at this moment. So, how is everyone's week this week? Uh, mine's been great. I had, um, um, well, it's the end of the semester for us, so I'm doing a lot of grading and stuff, but it's still been good. And um, it's almost um, Guadalupe Day here in Mexico, so there's fireworks and singing and all sorts of stuff going on outside my house, which is great. Um for about two more days, and then um, I become less tolerant of it. But they don't care whether I'm tolerant or not, so I'm enjoying it as much as I can. It seems like there's always a festival happening outside your window. Very often, yeah, but the big, big two are for St. Jude and for um, uh, the Virgin of Guadalupe because those are the two main shrines out there. Uh, I get it. Uh, Chad, how's your week in Houston? Uh, my week is good. Uh, just getting back, uh, debriefing with my students uh, about Thanksgiving. One of my students was telling me he went to Mississippi for his Thanksgiving mm. to see family and that he was surprised that it was not like the film Django. He was very, it was. In what way wasn't it like the film Django? Um, I said, well, it's. Yeah, it's not entirely, yeah. So it's not like that everywhere. And <laughs> just some places. <laughs> just some places. Uh, so, Charles, how's your week been? I, I can't remember much before the last 24 hours, but the last 24 hours have been good. I did a long trail run today in North Georgia, and then I came came home and, and watched the Falcons give up a late-game lead, as they like to do. Yeah, it was very enjoyable for us in New Orleans. Yeah, I figured that. I figured you'd, you'd want to rub that in, so I just I would decided I would I would go there first. <laughs> well, so let's we can guess guess locations in North Georgia. Was it Dahlonega? Was it, uh, was it, uh, uh, the L J area. The L J. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. So right. yeah, I'm spending a lot of time in the rural the rural South. That's his segue to to Roy Moore here. <laughs> the good segue. Yeah. So yeah, and Charles is on the clock, so we'll get him. So he's, Charles has been writing. A lot of pieces on Roy Moore's uh, improbable and yet totally probable run for Senate. Um, and we have been kind of enjoying his run for Senate until it took a dark turn. And I think now we're filled with dread about his run for Senate. Um, very amused by his kickboxing career. Uh, other than that, he's a horrible person. So, Charles, you were you were the guy who wrote um, the initial mall piece, right? Yeah, and right. So that was – I was looking back at the stories I've done on, on Roy Moore, who I should note is someone I, I knew nothing about until three months ago, two, three months ago. <laughs> Um, have have uh, had kind of a 
you know, a quick, a quick journey through, um, his life and times here the last few months, um, and I've written eight or nine pieces. Um, and yeah, one of the pieces was the mall, the piece about, um, his alleged banning from a mall in Gadsden, which yeah, is pretty, pretty shocking, pretty remarkable. And and probably has gotten the most, the most attention of anything I've ever written, um, before. I have to tell you though that I, that story was thoroughly debunked to me by our neighbor in Florida when I was home for Thanksgiving. Who, oh yeah, um, let's hear has, it. Let's hear it. He still has his America Online account, so he's very <laughs> cued in to what's happening. Um, and he says that the manager of the mall said that Roy Moore, it was okay if Roy Moore came in the mall. Yeah, I talked to the same. I talked to the same guy who who was manager. I think beginning a couple years after the alleged uh, banning, and that guy admitted to me that he went to the YMCA all the time and worked out with Roy Moore without their shirts on. Um, so we we've got a guy cut from the Roy Moore mold um, who's, who says that, he, that that Roy Moore wasn't banned. So you know, take that as you will. I don't know. There, you know, I have to say with that piece, um, the piece doesn't come out and say you know that, that I was able to learn uh, or report hundred percent that he was banned because we couldn't find a smoking gun there. But there were we felt. Um, uh, a, a lot of credible sources. Um, you know, I list I list them. I talked to cops. I talked to lawyers. I talked to former mall employees, and we had something like over twelve people who remembered. Some of whom went on the record saying so that, that he was banned. So we felt like that that was enough um, to to report on. But but no, we don't we don't have the like the list. You know, like this piece of paper that was written forty years ago on which his name appears, and it may in fact be that that uh that the ban was just kind of an, un, an informal or unofficial one and it was just this security guard or a couple security guards who who just watched out for roy moore and in either case i mean you have a, a pretty disturbing circumstances there yeah most people who um have seen roy moore without his shirt are willing to <laughs> say bad things about him and testify against him it seems well, that's a great that's a great segue to uh, to the piece I have coming out tomorrow in the New Yorker. Um, Tell us about this new piece. Yeah, so uh, I mean, in in light of everything else that's been reported on him, it's it's uh, it leans to the lighter side and the sort of the funnier side. Although I am curious how you guys think it'll play out in Alabama. So the piece is about um, Roy Moore's four year career. Uh, at West Point, where he, he attended from 66 to 69, and walked on to the gymnastics team, and was a pommel horse, a pommel horse athlete. Um, and I have, I have photographs. Is that in quotes? He, the guy was. I'll give him this. I, I haven't seen any video. He was definitely in good shape. He's cut. He's very cut, big, chiseled guy. Um, but I talked to some of the the folks that were on the team with him, and I asked one of them just point blank, you know, was he any good? And the quote the guy gave me was something like, you know, to be candid, he he had no aptitude for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> But he did it for four years, and he was also uh, so he was on the gymnastics team for four years, a Division One team that did beat Na- that did beat Navy, 
um, oh. when he was there, and uh, he, um, you know, he was committed to it. He worked hard at it. Uh, I, I would have loved to have talked to him about that. I tried to get through to him through his campaign people, but you know, they were too busy trying to debunk other uh, much more serious claims. <laughs> it seems like they might want a little more lighthearted story about him. Right. So, what do you guys think, though? I mean, is gymnastics going to play? Is, is his gymnastics past going to play worse than, than his, you know, mol- alleged molestation of young girls? Well, I think I, that you know they've already uh, his legal career has proven that he has a lot of kind of stick to itiveness when it comes to stuff he has no aptitude for. But uh, right. I oh. think uh, um, that. I think Alabama likes winners, and uh, uh, so it depends a lot, probably, on what his record looks like on like on the team. They beat Navy. So here's the other kind of funny, funny part of the story um, is that th- they're th- perhaps the most famous pommel horse. I guess you call them a rider, a pommel horse rider. I don't know. Uh, in the history of American gymnastics, was named Roy Moore as well. Okay. So the most famous pommel horse guy in in American gymnastics history was also Roy Moore, and was the first was the first person inducted into the U.S. Gymnastics Hall of Fame. And he was so good. This other Roy Moore was so good at the pommel horse that there's actually a move called a Moore, which still exists, and which our Roy Moore apparently couldn't pull off. <laughs> <laughs> so layers 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 it's pretty it's layers pretty amazing it. stuff. <laughs> but do you think he was inspired to take up the pommel horse because he knew about the other I, one? You know, that was one of the questions that went unanswered when I reached out to his his campaign spokesperson. Um they didn't they didn't want to wade into the the gymnastic weeds. <laughs> but um but, but like, yeah, I have to wonder. Yeah. I think like David was saying though, it seems like his MO, right? Like if you read about there's an article about him in law school where he's a complete clod, apparently. He's just a big dunderhead, but he just keeps, like, soldiering on because he's such he's such a hardhead. He doesn't yeah, quit Yeah, there, yeah. So, uh, are you referring to the fruit salad article? The, the, the fruit salad article. Did you yeah. know the fruit salad one, I right? did, yeah. That, so so yeah. I, thought, I thought that was going to be my big contribution to the Roy Moore saga, <laughs> was, that he was, nick, was that he was nicknamed Fruit Salad by a professor who, who thought that he was just so obtuse. Um, and he, apparently that name caught on, and, and as the article, I think, said, he's, he, was, he still to this day is referred to as Fruit Salad <laughs> by a lot of like, pretty, pretty high-profile lawyers in Alabama. And what was it? The law professor would bring him up to the front of the room and spin him around in a circle yeah. and say, "Fruit salad, fruit salad." <laughs> yeah, that's the image that stuck with me too. Yeah, the, that uh, and that was corroborated by a couple people who saw it happen. Um, this professor is now dead, unfortunately, because it would have been great to get him to to talk about um, what he remembered. But but yeah, he brought him up to the front of the class. I think on the first or second day of class, nineteen. 70, 71, whatever it was, and uh, and he just spun him around, and and whatever the quote was, it ended with you know your fruit salad, um, and you know it was a different, different time. time. Yeah, yeah, right, quite, quite, but. Um, is he the same professor who wrote the letter when Roy Moore was running for office before saying? I think he was a very conservative. 
jurist, but he said that Roy Moore was the worst student he'd ever had, and he had to abandon the Socratic method. Just because no, so that that was actually a different professor. So he so he left his he left his imprint in many many professors' <laughs> minds. Um, but yeah, this the professor you're referring to. Yeah, the quote that I recall was something like, "With with Roy Moore, you know, he, you would sit there and tell him two plus two equaled four, and he would he would like argue to the end of the class that it actually equaled five. And uh, and that guy, you know, could never, could never, you know, forget that. And and you're right; he was a conservative leaning um, um, right. fellow. And he and he, so he, anyway, he wrote he wrote about remembering Roy Moore's ineptitude at law school, which is pretty well documented. This seems like such the proto Republican kind of resume at this point, right? Like we've gone from the as much as I didn't like his politics, like the George H. W. Bush has this kind of stellar academic, uh, military service resume. And then you get to kind of um, the post-George W. Bush years where just being a committed imbecile seems to be the ticket. Yeah. Yeah. You just keep showing up. Just, just keep, keep showing, showing up. up. Yeah. yeah, and you keep doubling down on your on your most ridiculous claims. Um, right, right, right. And that's endearing to people because, well... I suppose it's a strength that the the Democrats don't have is that you're willing to like go go to bat for whatever thing you said is as opposed to waffling. So I guess there's that. Um, but it seems to it seems to fit in with you know his kickboxing and whatever he was doing in Australia and his uh, even like when you read and this is getting into the darker stuff when you read about his kind of um, his sexual escapades alleged sexual escapades with these young women they also seem like he's just such a clod like he's just such a moron about how human beings function. Like, just he drives a girl to his house and walks out in his tidy whities and that's what he thinks this romantic moment is is happening. Well, you know, a couple of these, couple of these uh, former t- gymnastics teammates of his that I talked to um, uh, told me they thought that he was a virgin throughout West Point. That he had never slept with a woman, didn't know the first thing about um, like relationship dynamics whatsoever. Um, so you kind of get this picture of a really, a, a real innocent in a lot of ways uh-huh. up to that point in his life. Who you know then I think went to Vietnam and I think everything right. got kind of turned inside out and and warped. Um, you know, not that I, I can really accurately psychoanalyze the dude, but it was interesting to hear to hear his old teammates say, like, this guy was he was naive. He was just purely naive with women and in other ways, too. Uh, right. That, it seems like there's something to that, though. It seems like there's something like I can't also I can't psychoanalyze him, but it seems like there's something there. Like he always like he assumes the strangest about like normal human sexuality. Right. Like so. He's definitely against um, any gay people, and he seems to be fairly against most straight people, uh, and kind of has assumptions, the worst assumptions about them. And, you know, as the uh, son of a Vietnam veteran, I think I can say that it is entirely possible that going to Vietnam might have broken his brain. Uh, as it did to, as it did to lots of people, especially small small town innocents like going going to Vietnam. Right. Well, there's a certain amount of um, um, just built-in misogyny to a lot of um, fundamentalist uh, thinking, you know, across religions, I guess. But I, which kind of makes me, I'm curious about the Vision Forum. Like he co-wrote a textbook, right? Um, 
And in it, the, 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 the textbook says, I'm not sure exactly if it's him who says it, that women shouldn't hold public office and very sort of Taliban-y sort of ideas about women in it. And I know that it's connected with something called the Vision Forum, but I didn't get a very complete understanding of what that is. I'm not an expert in the Vision Forum, but I know basically that it's, it's a now defunct evangelical organization that was based in Texas and was headed by a guy who himself, um, uh, and by his own admission, was caught up in an affair with a woman who claimed uh, shortly after this all came to light that, that he had been grooming her for for, sex, for a sexual sort of relationship since she was 15. So you have kind of a Roy Moore sounding, or perhaps even darker and scarier sounding version of Roy Moore, um, who was at the head of this organization, uh, which crumbled as soon as uh, the, the figurehead was revealed to be uh, a creepy fraud. Uh, Yikes! So you've written a, you've written a couple of things about. Uh, women in the Republican Party in Alabama and about young people like the, uh, I'm not sure if it's, is it young Republicans or college Republicans? There were uh, David Wisdom and uh, and another fellow and about how there's sort of a little bit of a, a backlash among at least some Republicans in Alabama. I was curious about, does that seem to... Um, to be taking off in any way? Is it, uh, or is it passing, is it blowing I'm hesitant over? to read too much into, I mean, it certainly is interesting that, you know, and I'll, uh, just for those who, who are listening, who didn't read the piece, I had a piece out a couple days ago, the New Yorker's website, that quoted an unnamed, but let's just say, powerful uh, female figure in Alabama's Republican circles who's worked in politics for 20 to 30 years, you know, has helped uh, a lot of the major figures in uh, Republican politics in Alabama get elected um, and has never voted for a Democrat. She, she was so pissed off by the textbook thing that she, she told me, you know, uh, more can kiss my ass. I'm going to vote for Doug Jones. So, I mean, that is significant, right? That is, that's a, if somebody at her level who's just so thoroughly enmeshed in Republican stuff in Alabama is able to, if that, if that is able to sort of crack her, you have to think that other semi-thinking people, especially women, are also going to be sort of questioning some of their bedrock assumptions about this guy. Yeah, I think that story seems to me to be the one that will really affect him because he has to rely. Like, uh, I don't know the Alabama Republican Party as much as I do the Florida, but the Florida Republican Party, for all of its misogyny, is kind of on the ground run by women for the most part. Like, most local, most county or district things are powered by, like, women who show up to the meetings and, and everything. Um, same, same as, yeah. That I talked to, she she made that pretty clear that that you know now there are actually a number of powerful women. You've got Kay Ivey and a few others who are who are at sort of the helm in Alabama. But but yeah, for a long time it's been women behind the scenes helping to elect men in that state. And like, why are they going to continue to do that? Was this woman's point? If somebody like Roy Moore is you know is the senator of the state why why do they why do they work to help elect a guy who doesn't think that they should be anywhere but the kitchen birth and babies as this woman said to me so right. you know so, so to answer it's interesting churches are uh, like protestant churches are often very much like that yeah, too that's what i was going to say that women don't get a lot of access to uh, you know being a deacon being a minister uh, there's still a lot of resistance to female ministers but um 
Uh, but they're the ones who show up and who very often kind of drag them into to church. That's how, that's how I got dragged to church when I was a kid, was always by a grandmother, not by a grandfather. But to get back yeah, to, your, to, get, to get back to your original um, question there about you know are we seeing like a, a sea change or something? Um, I, I'm hesitant to read too much into this, even the stuff that I've written because I've been talking to you know I've, I've been able to reach people who probably are are, are a, a little bit more open minded. I mean, if you're responding to an inquiry from a New Yorker magazine writer, right. you're probably you know, you have a little, a little bit more openness to certain ideas than, than probably a lot of the electorate. Um, and so, so, you know, I don't know, uh, but I've talked to folks who, um, who don't necessarily have biases who, um, or biases towards Doug Jones, who think that, that, it, they would not be surprised if he wins. So I, I think we're, we're looking at a really close race, which is what the polls are saying. Yeah, I think it's going to be close, and I, but I, yeah, I very much want Doug Jones to win, but I'm not going to be surprised if he loses because the the base instincts of the Republican Party in Alabama, Florida, Mississippi are so strong that it would take it would take a lot to get them to to not vote, and I think more than like a gymnastics story. A gymnastic story, maybe. I think this gymnastic story could do it. If anything does it, I think the gym, this gymnast. Well, I feel like that's that'll probably light up uh, the comedy uh, monologues for for a little bit. Like I, the weird thing about that, there's, there's a sort of I mean, fair unfair. There's kind of a creepy sexuality associated with gym, gymnastic enthusiasts as well. Is there not? I, I think I think so. I mean, don't don't <laughs> aren't we now like witnessing? I haven't followed it closely, but some like longtime uh, U.S. Yeah, team doctor for the U.S. team. team. Yeah, that guy. That guy is creepy as hell. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It turns out he like molested like almost every member of the team. I think it's pretty insane. Yeah, every major gymnast. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's not a great time to be affiliated with gymnastics, especially if you already <laughs> have, if you're already a suspected child molester. Right. I think yeah, one of the things is like if people, the allegation against you is that you're a little creepy in your sexuality towards young women, um, and then the evidence is you're also involved in gymnastics. I don't. I think the arrows are starting to point in a certain direction. No. We're gonna. You're gonna get all kinds of, of negative mail from gymnasts when this comes out. <laughs> I, I hope not. Because, uh, yeah, I hope no, not, I'm kidding. I was gonna say about. That. Oh yeah, it also seems like you know it's one of those. I don't want to stretch it too far, but you know I think about like all like the German fascist imagery was all about these like male gymnasts, right? Like you go know, like the Lenny Riefenstahl films mm-hmm. or like the the male gymnasts. And I wonder like how much of his just like. Because everyone who like kind of knew him during that West Point and the time that he was military police in Vietnam, like called him Captain America, right? Because he was such like a straight laced guy. I wonder how much like because it's hard to think now the image of male gymnastics, but I wonder how much at the time it had that kind of like manly. He's out there doing manly stuff. I don't know. I don't really know enough about the kind of historiography of gymnastics in America. Yeah. Well, I asked his. I asked his teammates. I I was trying to get at that with them, and I was like, "Well, how is the gymnastics squad viewed by the rest of the school?" And um, and I mean, obviously they're biased, uh, but they they were like, you know, we we beat Navy. That's all. That's all we had to say. Like, if you beat Navy at anything, (laughs) you're getting respected. So, okay, I don't know. Um, yeah, he's just a, I mean, he's a horrible person, but a fascinating character in so many ways. Like, it's, it's such a such a weird 
weird story of a guy who just doesn't seem to have that much on the ball, but clearly in some ways has to have this um, spectacular, you know, streak through public life, which might just, yeah. I was gonna. I, w- I just thought of uh, you mentioned Captain America, so I was gonna. I was gonna mention another nickname that I stumbled across. Besides Fruit Salad, Captain America. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, on, I'm on like the nickname beat. Um, <laughs> he. So this is one that I haven't been able to write about because I don't have enough folks going on the record with it, and perhaps it doesn't matter at this point. But he. He used to um, allegedly uh, att- attend a, a country club pool in Gadsden or in the Gadsden area. And he, he wore, he was known for where, according to my sources, he was known uh, for wearing, this was in his, he was in his early thirties, right? He was, he was a DA, but he'd show up in these tight, small bathing suits and he would roll the pants legs up so high that he would start. Uh, I think you guys probably know the term hanging brain. And he, so he was hanging, he was hanging brain. And there was a group of women who were then teenagers who were d- really disturbed. And I guess somewhat, somewhat amused by it as well. And they called him Nadman. <laughs> I'm not making this. I'm not making this up. I mean, I would. Yeah, Nad, so we got Nadman, Captain America, Fruit Salad. Uh, he's he's really accumulating some some choice nicknames. Yeah. Well, it seems like Fruit Salad could have also applied to his country club. Yeah. <laughs> I'm giving you guys all the good stuff. <laughs> That's what he told them. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. Until this year, Gadsden, I only know Gadsden is like the cleanest Taco Bell between New Orleans and Knoxville. That's essentially how I know Gadsden. So how many of you all have stepped foot in Alabama recently? Um, I was, we, all, we all passed through it, I think. Like I was yeah, in it was over the summer. Like I, I drive through Alabama. Actually, I almost... I, you were in I didn't stop in Gadsden this time, but um, yeah, I drive through Alabama every summer. I'm coming. I was in Alabama. I'm coming up in a couple of weeks, and I'll be driving through. I will definitely make it a point to actually get off the highway stop in, in Gadsden, uh, Alabama, and uh, go hang out at the country club pool. See, <laughs> <laughs> see what's going on. You know, you stop by the Y. Yeah. Tomorrow I'm driving to uh, to the the Mobile area to Fairhope where where Bannon's oh, going to yeah. be yeah. Um, for that rally to 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 report on on that. Um, so I don't know if you all have any tips for fun things to I do have, in Fairhope. Well, Fairhope Fairhope is actually a really interesting case because it's a. Um, do you know the history of Fairhope? Hi everybody. Uh, throughout this section, I accidentally refer to. Georgia's economics as Smithian economics. Um, my my intellectual apology for that is that I was reading Adam Smith last night, which is true, but it's probably just because I forgot. So whenever I say Smithian, just think Georgist, and I apologize. Oh, um, I've heard some interesting things, but I don't know. T- go ahead and tell me. So, so Pharaoh is, uh, uh, is it, um, Smithian economics? No. Oh, yeah, geez. I think, I think so that's right. Forget I think it. that's right. Yeah, and so it was one of these. Any town that has the name Fair before it is generally one of these like experimental towns that were built on Smithian economics, oh, okay, yeah. which is where you have uh, a half acre of land from the government tax free, and every other 
piece of land you own is heavily, heavily taxed, and that's how it finances itself. But you can have as much land rent-free from the government to use, I believe, something like that. It was an experimental community. So Fairhope has a reputation of being a little bit more liberal than than the rest of the areas around Mobile. But Mobile, you know, is, is very heavily African-American. Theodore is very heavily African-American. Um, Fairhope is pretty white, but uh, a little bit affluent and has, um, yeah, that kind of um, tradition. It also has one of my favorite Starbucks in Alabama because, uh, I guess it's okay to say this on a podcast, they have, one of the baristas there is an army veteran who I believe is a trans woman, and she's like about like six foot four and just looks awesome every time I'm in there. And so it's one of my favorite uh, Starbucks in Alabama. That's cool. Good. Yeah, that's a neat. That's a neat. That's a neat tidbit. <laughs> yeah, we drive through there uh, fairly often. But yeah, I don't know. Fair, fair mm-hmm. hope it should be interesting. So Bannon's going to be there. Yeah. So this is the big. Oh, I mean, I imagine this is going to be a total circus um, with Bannon there, um, and it's you know one week out from the election. Uh, I think it's you know media media folks from all over. I, I imagine, and who knows? Maybe maybe some. Hopefully not. But maybe some actual. Uh, violence, but uh, you know, I, it's it's going to be interesting. Well, he's going there because yeah. that's where the Duck Dynasty guy has his um, has his farm or whatever it is, right? In Alabama, in Fairhope, I think so. Oh, I thought he's just in the Louisiana swamp somewhere. Uh, there's a place called Oak Hollow Farm in Fairhope that yeah. Phil Robertson uh, uh, owns. Oh, there you go. Um, or I think so. I'm not sure about that. Okay. okay. So I'm, curious, I'm, curious, yeah. I'm curious, you know, what uh, you guys have thought probably close to as much as I have about this election. What, what group of people, there have been articles recently about, you know, the, the effect the African-American vote is going to have on the election, the effect white women could have. Do you guys have a, have a sense of where you think it's going to come, like what it's going to come down to, what group? In particular, well, I mean, judging by what's happened, what happened with Trump, for example, I don't know. Unless white women have changed a lot in the last year, uh, they're going to vote like the rest of the white people. I think. Yeah, I don't have reason to believe otherwise. Really? Yeah, Yeah. I think it's white. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to white women and white conservative women. uh, You know, vote vote party line. Yeah. So, so I think well, that the the real thing is going to see what turnout is. I think so. Right. It could it could be that a lot of white women, especially because of him saying he doesn't think they should be allowed to vote, decide not to turn up or think that this is too distasteful to get involved in. But they turned out to vote for Trump. So you know, right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think there are a lot of people who are, who are turned off enough by more to stay home. But I wonder how many are going to be you know pissed off just enough to, to actually like go in and check the box for the for the, the you know the opposing team. Right. Um, do you think if that group, if it were to be, a, it would be the young, like the young people? Do you think the young people will come out to vote against, or do you think the young people that would be against more would just stay home? I think I think the I think writing in from from the folks that I've talked to, they're pretty excited about going like voting and writing in a name, uh, whether yeah, whether it's Nick Saban or <laughs> or you know <laughs> somebody else. I support, I support that. that. I think he may get the most write-in votes. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> I'm not I kidding. Support that. <laughs> but it would be a significant <laughs> pay cut for him. Yeah, yeah, it would. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so, so, you know, I, I, I don't know. The, the, like the young Republicans I talk to, they, they're, 
they're excited about writing in candidates. Their friends are, but they're not. I don't think as a whole they're they're overly um, encouraged about their age group. They're the twenty-something age group actually coming out and making a big difference. Um, were those, were those, those the fireworks? fireworks in I'm not sure. There's always something. I, I, I was wrong about Ocala Farm, by the way. It was a plantation owned by the Little family, and they still own it. Okay. Mm. <clears throat> Hopefully, the Roy Moore Rally will be a plantation. That would be. A- That's what it is. <laughs> they, they call it a farm, but um, uh, on their website they say that it's a farm that was a traditional farm raising cotton, sugar cane, <laughs> potatoes, corn, and livestock. So, uh, I think that very yeah. traditional. That's a special type of farm. As I'm sitting here, I assume you got you guys. I know Wes is a big music person. Are the rest of you guys, music music fans, more or less, yeah. Yes, yes. I'm sitting here looking at a mix CD that uh, a oh. lifelong um, uh, Alabama, well, a, guy, a native Alabamian, and it's Alabamian by the way, not Alabaman. As I was, I was corrected when I wrote a story and mis and accidentally used Alabaman. I got in big trouble. I got like a long. It was funny, but it was a really long note from a reader. From a reader. Um, but anyway, uh, I'm looking at this mix CD that a, a Democrat who grew up in Alabama put together as soon as Trump won last November. And this title of the CD is "One Big Alabama." Um, and that's you know his, his view of where the country's going. And I, I was gonna I was gonna throw out a few tracks in case you wanted yeah, is to. It, is it all drive by truckers or songs? <laughs> Actually, no. There there aren't any of those okay. on here, and I don't okay. I, I don't fully understand the reasoning for for the inclusion of some of the tracks. But um, <laughs> so here he's got he's got Merle Haggard's Wake Up. He's got Prince's Rock and Roll Love Affair. He's got Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, Eight Days of Hanukkah. He's got David Bowie's, he's got David Bowie's Sue or In a Season of Crime. Um, he's got bir- some bands I haven't heard of, Birds of Chicago, uh, NG Labanda, and then he's got an Anthony Pack song, The Dreamer. It's a fairly oh, eclectic oh, oh, mix, okay. but uh, yeah, maybe I'll send you guys the, the, the track list and we can... <laughs> yeah, give us a track list for the one Alabama. I thought it was just going to be like all the last three Drive-By Truckers albums. Yeah. No, that would have. I thought it was going to be all Alabama songs. Oh, yeah, Alabama songs are stuck inside a mobile with the Memphis Blues again. Oh yeah, yeah, classic. Or, or the album Gulf Shores by Ramblin' Jack Elliott. I don't know. I mean, I know him. I don't know that that album. I don't think. So, I have a question for you, which is, how much do you get a sense that people are afraid of Roy Moore? I mean, he's got political power. It's true. He doesn't have official power right now, and he's certainly risen up and dropped down enough times to where he doesn't seem bulletproof. But I just think in um, a closed system, which uh, Alabama certainly is, and certainly I'm sure the Republican Party must be there, that, uh, like I notice a lot of your sources are off the record, and um, like how much how much power do you think he really wields in other people's political careers? Uh, 
Um, I mean, my first response when you said that was, I think people are mostly just worried about the damage he's going to do to the quote Alabama brand, which I think is almost kind of funny to hear it put that way. Because the Alabama brand is like, I mean, last I checked, it's not, it's not the nicest brand on the shelf. Um, Except for football. Right. Yeah. Okay. Football. Right. But you know, not everybody pays attention. Not everybody knows Nick Saban's uh, biography as well as, as, as you do. But, um, you know, I think, so there's like a fear of just further embarrassment really, um, that I'm sensing and, and, you know, like, yeah, there are people like those that I've, I've talked to who have, who've had to be off record because not so much they're afraid of more as they're afraid of like the, the Alabama Republican establishment, which is backing more, basically destroying their careers. If they come out and say, or do anything overt to, um, to sort of you know, yeah, undermine, it. undermine him. Yeah. Anything at all. So it, I, I hate having to use off the record sources, but they're, they are giving me a lot of really like unvarnished truth, um, that you just, you can't get from somebody who's employed by the Republican establishment. Otherwise. Yeah. That all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's the, it's the embarrassment factor, but he's, he's been around for so long and these people have been like mired in his world, um, for so long that some of them seem kind of inured to it a bit at this point. Um, so we'll see. I don't know, guys. It's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. It certainly has provided, provided me the opportunity to spill lots of ink. Right. Well, good luck with your uh, your reporting the rest of the week and going up to the election, and uh, maybe we'll check back in with you sometime. Okay. Sounds great, guys. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Thanks for coming on. Then. Yeah. All right. Good luck. Thank you. We could, I, I want to hear what you guys have to say about the Tennessee thing because I keep seeing everybody's uh, Tennessee football thing because I keep seeing posts on Facebook, but I have no idea what's going on just that um, people care about something that has to do with Tennessee and getting a new coach, and then they say a lot of names of people who I have no idea who they are. Um, oh, um, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chad's probably the wrong guy to talk to about that. Yeah, you know, I made a joke. I made an off. I think I made a joke to Chad when we were watching the Iron Bowl together. I said that Phil Fulmer was going to be the next head coach. I think I said That's that. That's right. And it looks like he might he might just pull it off. He might pull it off. He might pull off a uh, a uh, Dick Cheney on this. Who, who's I looked at all the candidates. Who's Philip Fulmer? Who's Philip Fulmer? Oh my God! Who's Philip Fulmer? Oh. Uh, he was the coach that uh, took a well sit like uh, prepare for. Um, Prepare for some. Uh, his, prepare to get schooled. Pre- prepare to go to. Uh, prepare to go to, t- to Tennessee football school. Prepare to go to Vol school. I've, I've already um, been there. <laughs> You've been there. As a student and an instructor. Yep. Um, he was the coach that took over after Johnny Mar- Major. Oh, okay. And he was the coach. Yeah, he was the coach while Peyton Manning was there, and he was the coach. Well, I think he might have been the coach while, while I was there. When I was there as a student, he was. If he took over after um, uh, uh, Johnny Majors, Johnny Major. well, Johnny Majors, I'm not sure that he wasn't still coach when I was there. Now that I think about it, yeah, Johnny Majors was a coach until like the night. He was like the early nineties. Oh, okay. like so yeah, co- yeah, that's crazy. I'm pretty sure. Like he was like, I want to say yes. Uh, I'll have to verify that, but I want to say like, um, 
Yeah, he was the coach until well into. So uh, yeah, the, maybe maybe late eighties, maybe late eighties. The amazing thing about Phil Fulmer is he was the head coach at UT while also being the senator from Tennessee and an actor on Law and Order. <laughs> yeah, he was <laughs> and running for president. And he became yeah, nineteen ninety two. I was right. Oh, okay, he so again, yeah, he was uh, he was fo- there the whole time. He I became the head football time. coach and. And I met him, I met Majors a little bit when uh, I was there, but I got to know him better afterwards. He was a friend of my dad's. Uh, Did he not credit also, your dad for his um, his winning season, his Heisman Trophy season? Did he win the Heisman Trophy? I don't know, Tennessee. Yeah, I'm not sure. And so Philip Fulmer yes. can't be very um, young anymore. No, he was second. That's right. He was second. He uh, was second. That might be why he credited trophy. my dad. <laughs> <laughs> he said thanks. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> thanks for making me come in second. And so Philip Fulmer can't be very young, right? No, he's not he's young. Definitely he's definitely not young. Like, he never was young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's always... Even when he played football for the University of Tennessee, he was man. he was sixty. He was in his early sixties then. Mm. Uh, he's in his late sixties, and he was the coach until two thousand eight, when he was fired by the athletic director, who was uh, thought he was kind of very stag. Uh, he had you know they had they won their national championship, and then they almost you know they came pretty close in like two thousand one. Um, and then after that, uh, you know, they kind of trailed off and became sort of, I don't know, some may say mediocre. Not me. Not me. I would not say they were So mediocre, you're saying in 2002 you know, he was fired? No, 2008. Oh, okay. He was fired. 2008. And then he kind of faded off. And he, when he worked, he was a consultant at ETSU for a little while. Um and then he retired. But then recently, the most recent athletic director hired him back as a special consultant. Oh, okay. Um, Tr- trying to get back to mediocre. Yeah. Trying to get <laughs> trying to get back to me. Well, he won That's, a national championship. Isn't that what it says in front of like the UT on the big sign? <laughs> Don't make fun of that man. They paid a lot of money to a Chicago uh, ad firm to come up with that slogan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But. Um, Trying to get back to me. Can you take my name off of it? Can you take my name off of this? That's okay. Can you take my name off of this? <laughs> in front of Alabama, it, no. It's all right because in front of Alabama, we have a sign that says, uh, even Roy Moore went out of state. <laughs> um, so, so, and I guess like Tennessee has really not, they've not captured, a lot of people feel like they have not captured that, uh, turn of the century sort of their the Peyton Manning they've always been trying to get back to the Peyton Manning years I, I would um, say they've always been trying to get back to the Jim Bob Cooter years <laughs> <laughs> haven't we all um, <laughs> I just realized I just I didn't know this when looking up Jim Bob Cooter that he's like six years younger <laughs> than I am yeah oh, Jesus Christ um, what's a Jim Bob like Cooter a, he uh, is a um Offensive coordinator in the NFL who played for Tennessee and it's been talked about that he might be he's a possibility to be the new coach because he was a graduate assistant yeah. at Tennessee. <clears throat> and I don't know why you wouldn't hire someone to be your football coach. Your head ball coach who his name's Jim Bob Cooter. <laughs> yeah, who is uh 
Yeah, somebody who would be helping out the Duke boys uh, as head football coach. Uh, but I think the, the thing Phil Fulmer has already started with Palace Intrigue. So he was a consultant, and he's already somehow managed to become the athletic director for the school. Uh, and supposedly he got the athletic. Supposedly he sabotaged the. Uh, the rumor is that he sabotaged the the, the search for the new head coach, and uh, the the former head coach Butch Jones was. He this was his fifth year, and he came in with a lot of like after Philip Fulmer was fired. Uh, it was a very controversial firing because he was he had won a national championship. He you know had coached Peyton Manning, but he had kind of you know trailed off but you know they had he had not had a lot of bad years but he had you know they had like seven and five you know they were just consistently going to the uh well as steve spurrier said you can't have what did he say you can't spell citrus without ut you know they (laughs) (laughs) and you know they were constantly they were just every year going to like the citrus bowl which is like a very like it's like a um, yeah, it's like the certif- it's like the certificate of completion. It's like the generic <laughs> orange bowl or the generic tangerine bowl or the generic uh, yeah. lemon bowl. The Alamo Steakhouse bowl. Yeah, the Alamo Steakhouse or the uh, Aren't they all named after yeah, uh, corporations now? Oh, they are now, yeah. That's still my Jam favorite Steve Spurrier joke of all time was when Peyton Manning announced he was returning for his senior season. He said, well, good, he can be MVP of the Outback Bowl. <laughs> um. <laughs> so, it's a palace entry yeah. at Tennessee. I don't know. I think that, and this is probably true of every SEC school, like the only time I hear any discussion about this is from like mutual friends who are in Tennessee. Like I don't. It seems like really important amongst like five people, but I don't know if it's that big of a controversy. I don't. I don't know. But that's true of every SEC school. About like Philip Fulmer. About uh, the whole or, thing about how apparently like UT is going through the hiring process. Like it's like nineteen eighty five. Like they're not. They don't have a committee doing it. Something they're just like asking people. I don't know. I've. Just been oh yeah, they were not. Yeah, they hired. They did not have a uh, search committee. Yeah, they did not have a search committee. And also, like, I mean, this is kind of the case in a lot of well, I mean, the, college sports now is you fire a coach and you, you still up – he ends up making – like, you're paying, like, you're paying your new coach and you're paying and your, your old, old coach. coach. And they're both the highest yeah. paid employees in the state, state employees yeah. during that time. And, you know, and that's sort of con- – so, like, they had not hired – they had not hired a search firm and it was just, like, the athletic director was going around calling people on the phone – and like Philip Fulmer was calling some people, and I think they had incorporate Peyton Manning was doing work behind the scenes, and um, yeah, he was doing a lot of work behind the scenes as a student, teabagging graduate <laughs> assistants. <laughs> no, take my um, take my name off this episode. <laughs> hey, he's my neighbor. Something. Yeah, just keep an eye out for him. I know. Not for long. Not when he <laughs> comes and takes um, uh, Bob Corker's Senate seat. He'll have to live oh, in state no. then. Well, that would kind of only sort of like, uh, that would fulfill my, you know, he would be truly my last favorite athlete. Like all my, all my, all my favorite athletes turn out to be sort of people with really sort of like, they all believe like the earth, you know, on average is like 5,000 years old, (laughs) you know, that, that, um, anybody that doesn't get married to a 
hetero, is not in a heterosexual marriage by the time they're 21, should be like pushed into an ocean. And well, fortunately for me, my that. favorite athletes are, are like uh, Mike Tyson and Kirby Puckett. So. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Dead, dead, or dead inside, yeah. one or the other. Alan Iverson, Kirby Puckett, and Mike Tyson are my favorite athletes. <laughs> Mine are um, all the pommel horse riders. <laughs> Why not? Roy Moore. <laughs> Both Roy right. Moores. Yeah. Roy, all Roy's Moores. All my heroes are pommel horse riders. <laughs> um, I feel like Roy, well, the- Roy Moore really missed his calling and being like a, a gay icon for the ages. Instead, he sublimated all of it to becoming a horrible tyrant homophobe. <laughs> yeah, that's not even that sublimated. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's really not. I almost said I feel like he really had it in him, but that would be a little over the top. <laughs> over the top, that's another pummel horse move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, another that's another kind of move that you, Roy Moore you gotta, performs. You gotta yeah, that's true. I remember horse. now that uh, a lot of his um, uh, adolescent fraudage was alleged to be over the top. <laughs> over the over the top. <laughs> uh, but you can tell he's about to do yeah. it. So he'll turn his baseball cap around backwards, and the Kenny Loggins song starts playing. Well, I think it's a sign that somebody's um, uh, pretty freaky when they like accost and molest people but without going so far as taking off underwear it's like it's very weird that just, I mean it just seems like a really pent up never nude thing to do yeah very never nude um yeah sorry that we turned to the thing about full former all the way back around to Roy Moore see what he's done to us yeah, that's right. All the way back around. Well, we can actually take we can take the we can take the coaching sir if you're talking about uh, molestation, uh, we can bring it back. We can actually bring it back to Tennessee if you want to do that. To sure. the Tennessee football. I do. So, um, well, then, like the big news, probably the thing that kind of kicked this whole week off was like Sunday, was they announced that uh, Greg, as you say, Greg Shiano, I think Greg Shiano, yeah. Shiano, yeah. Yeah, Greg Shiano was going to be the new head coach. Like they they hired their coach. Yes. They got him. Yes. We got him. Who is he's the offensive coordinator? No, yeah, offensive coordinator at Ohio State. It's a really offensive uh, coordinator. Or what is it? No, he's a really a offensive sen- coordinator. If you look into it, yeah, class. he's the uh, sense of offensive to your sensibilities <laughs> yeah. coordinator. Um, and so it came down. That was like you know breaking news. You know they were going to announce. You know I think Tennessee had called a press conference. The athletic director was in Ohio State. Like he was in Ohio, I guess he was in Columbus. Like they were signing the contract. Like it was a done deal. And then just like social media exploded because Greg Shiano is he had a bad. Uh, he's kind of had some notorious uh, jobs in the past. He was uh, uh, he was at Tampa Bay. He was the head coach at Tampa Bay, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they when they had their big MRSA outbreak at their training facility. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he was quoted as saying, like, I don't know, like, why well, we can't get it cleaned up. I mean, you think medicine is an exact science, but it isn't. <laughs> so, and this was already after, uh, I don't know if he was quoting uh, Dr. Spichiman or... If, uh, Technology or is secular. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but even his more notorious uh, coaching stint was at Penn State. Um, what the, could go uh, wrong? He was at the... 
yeah, at the uh, drinking town with a football problem. Um, so, and he was coach at Penn State when uh, Joe Paterno was coach. Never at Penn heard State. of him. Uh, that's and somebody I actually have heard boss? of. And also, he was also coach while uh, Jerry Sandusky ran his foundation um, at. He was not coach, but he was running his. I think he was running his foundation at the time. And the guy, the the assistant, co- the assistant that kind of blew the whole Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky scandal, testified under oath that George Greg Shianu knew about Jerry Sandusky. But it was only, you know, he, it was only his, you know, it was his, he, he said it under sworn testimony, but the guy that he said it to also said under sworn testimony that he didn't say it to him. And so there's all kind of like, you know, like, so he was announced as the head coach of UT, but then it sort of exploded on social media and kind of like throughout the day, I was actually, I was getting like, we were at the airport. So what was it about? Like, what was the explosion about? They, they didn't want to hire this guy who had been associated with the uh, worst scandal. Oh, so it was uh, in, about the Sandusky uh, thing. Yeah, the Sandusky thing. Like they did not, we did not. Like Tennessee did not want, uh, did not want. Yeah, to hire this guy. Like Tennessee fans, it was Tennessee fans. Well, I'm. Well, I'm I got to say that, someone who been. Uh, um, is he a good coach? He is a good coach. Well, yeah. He, well, well, that shows more character know, than went, I would expect from. College sports. Well, I think okay, going five hundred at Rutgers was kind of more of the controversy. That's the thing. That's kind of like that's the thing. Yeah, his his coaching record. I wouldn't say he's a good coach. Let me walk that back. Like, yeah, his coaching record is kind of like very iffy. Like he went to Rutgers, kind of a he took a very bad program and made it into sort of a mediocre program. Um, and then he went to the NFL. I thought that's what we were shooting for. Of, at well, we want to take a mediocre. We want, we want to take a mediocre program and make it into a slightly less mediocre program. What was the win-loss um, rate this year? Uh, were, like there were, we had the worst, well, they had the, I shouldn't, they had the worst losing season, like four and eight. That was their worst losing, the most losses ever, like in a, in a season. And that's mediocre? Including to Vanderbilt. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that they broke a record, yeah. Like you want to win, you want to win more games than lose games. Okay. Which is what Greg Schiano did at Rutgers by one game. Like he won, like he was like sixty-eight and sixty-seven at Rutgers in his tenure, and they only finished like they never won the Big East, and like they only finished in like the top. 10 like maybe once or twice like there was kind of like a big year where they had a couple of upsets and um but so that's okay so that's sort of the thing lots of people lots of fans came out on social media and said that this is not the right hire then other people said well this is a good hire like you're just because he's not john gruden who is like the big uh who is the person that everybody will all the fans want john gruden to be the coach who doesn't he's uh, great on commercials he's great on commercials he loves hooters um yeah, he loves his quarterback camp. I think it would be um, hard to find a, a college coach who doesn't like Hooters in football camp. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
No. So like we're gonna hire Alabama wants to hire a coach who likes uh, tweed jackets and uh, smoky libraries and uh, pipes <laughs> um, and rocket science. Yeah, rocket, yeah. <laughs> academics. So like um, rocket um, science, uh, cultural Marxism. Uh, Bear Bryant meets uh, Oppenheimer sort of fellow. <laughs> well, that was actually a play that I produced when I was an undergraduate at Alabama called Bear Bryant Meets Oppenheimer. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I've been working on a libretto. I was going to do an opera called the same thing. Now I'm glad I know that already exists. I'll change my theme. Does it end with uh, Bear Bryant saying, we are now Crimson Tide, destroyer of man? <laughs> no, it, it ends with him mumbling, I ain't never been nothing but a winner. <laughs> and that's Oppenheimer. That's my Oppenheimer impersonation. I've <laughs> been working on it for a while. <laughs> um, nuclear bombs win championship. Um, well, well, the University of Chicago uh, football stadium will, would tell you that because they, mm-hmm. they did build a nuclear bomb. Underneath their football stadium. Yep. Amazing. Yeah, all those championships. Yep. And that's when they do jump around during halftime. All right. Well, we've done a, a s- solid uh, hour. Do you think we should wrap up for the week? Yep. All right. Well, uh, thanks, guys. And I'll see you next week. See you then. See you next week.